Mother Claire of the Franciscan Sisters of the Renewal. But what is the, the oh, it's Congregation of the? Community. Community. Of the Franciscan Sisters, Sisters. of the Renewal, yeah. Okay. That's the, oh, what the C is. Yeah, people often wonder what the C stands okay. for. Yeah. Well, you were on Life in the Rock, and uh, we just want to do a podcast with you to hear, I wanted to hear your personal vocation story. Um, you're raised Catholic, devout home, surrounded by love and goodness all the way, or how did that go? <laughs> mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Happy to share it. Um, uh, so yes, I was raised in a Catholic home. Both my parents are are devout Catholics, and they're both converts to the faith. My father converting when he was a young teen in Germany as a 14-year-old, and my mother converting after marrying my father. Um, but us four children in our family were raised uh, devoutly Catholic, but my father was in the military, and we grew. And so I grew up moving around a lot, and and always going to school on base. Um, and I just bring that up because I never really thought about religious life growing up, and I sometimes wondered after the fact, why is that? Why why did I not really ever consider it? Or um, it, and I think in part was not going to Catholic school, not being taught by religious. Not that people that go to Catholic school are are usually taught by religious anymore anyway. Um, but I just, I guess I wasn't very exposed to religious life growing up. And then also perhaps because my parents weren't exposed to it because they were converts. Uh, mm -hmm. That was another reason. So who knows why? But I didn't have much exposure. Um, so I grew up wanting to be all the things the kids want to be, you know, an actress. I went through a long stint wanting to be an act actress. And Did you do plays and stuff? Yeah, yeah. I did drama in, in high, high school. school? And, mm -hmm. Like a lead role and stuff? or. Well, no, I can't say I ever had a lead role, so it probably wouldn't have made much of that uh, that dream. I <laughs> probably wouldn't have gone too far. Um, but all different things. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a missionary. Um, you know, all, all kinds of dreams. And then when I went away to college, and I went to Franciscan University in Steubenville. And what made you want to go there? You know, that is a great question, Father Mark, because it's a, almost like a pure miracle that I wound up there, honestly. Because I was in Germany at the time in Mannheim, Germany, hmm. on base, it was where I graduated from high school. I had never met one person that had gone to school at Steubenville. Hmm. I simply had heard about it. And um, then I'm at that point of making a college decision, which, is, which was pretty big because I was going to be leaving my parents on one continent, my whole family, hmm. coming back to the States and starting school. So there's a it was a, just a bigger thing hmm. than driving to the local state school or something. Uh, it was a real leaving of home. And so I thought, well, I should probably go where we have family since my immediate family is also going to be in Europe for a good few more years. So I should go where my grandmother is or so I have somewhere to go at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so I said, well, let me go to Ohio where my extended family is from. And then I thought, having never gone to Catholic school, I thought, now that's a novel idea. The Catholics yeah. all get together and go to school together. I really thought that way sincerely. I thought, that is so novel. What a yeah. great idea. Yeah. And I thought, I want to try that. I want to see what that's like. <laughs> so I said, I want to go to a Catholic school in Ohio. And I found Steubenville. Yeah. And I applied. And the interesting thing about it, which I found funny now, is that I remember praying, because I had already had a conversion experience. I remember praying that it would be a truly a Catholic school. That's how little I knew about it. It's the premier oh. Catholic school. It's like, the. Right, right. And I had no idea. I had yeah. no idea. And so yeah. I wind up there and think, like, <laughs> Where am I? This is uh, incredible. This is incredible. Let me ask you something. Was it hard moving around a lot when you were growing up? You know, it, it is hard. It yeah. is hard. You know, I always look at, I'm on the type, I look at the bright side and uh, I always tell you yeah. 10 positive things and, mm -hmm. you know, why it's so great. But the truth is, it, it, it's, it's challenging, you yeah. know, because you're always, as, as a child, I mean, there are good things about it. Mm -hmm. There are good things. But it is challenging. You're always saying goodbye. You're always being torn from like very fundamental people in your life. Yeah. You know, your best yeah. friends. Now, luckily, as a young child, the most fundamental people are mom, dad, and your brothers and sisters, and you're always with them. Mm -hmm. So, so that's right. that's good. Yeah. But no, it it is hard. And our our extended family was always over the ocean, uh -huh. and um, we were always when when you know it was my father that was in the military. So when dad is reassigned. You're usually we were separated for about six months, or sometimes mm. eight months, which wow. some people in the world have it much harder than that. But yeah. for for children, right. for children, that's really hard. And I remember being a being a young child at one point. It was a it was actually a terrifying experience because I remember thinking we were in one of those separations because it was a move mm -hmm. and the service person goes first, the family comes much later. 
And I remember thinking like, I can't think of my dad's face. Mm. I can't remember mm. his face. And it was, it was frightening to me. Yeah. But it's just because the separation was so long. Right. And um, so yeah, there are hard things about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've seen some of those videos where the soldier comes home and the kids, like kids at school, and he surprises them. It's always so beautiful to see their reaction. You know, like they just, they just forget about embarrassment or whatever. Mm. You know, they just go right to the father, and it's always nice. Mm, beautiful. But is it like harder maybe to make friends, or you kind of learn to maybe a little bit more independent, or mm. know, is that true, or you think? Or? Well, you know, I. I definitely became very independent, so I do mm. wonder if, if that's part of it. Yeah. But it is also easy to make friends mm. if both are true at the same time. Because yeah. in a military school and in a military environment, all the kids are in the same boat. Oh, okay. So either you're the one moving and reentering uh-huh. somewhere, or they are. But there's a kind of a sympathy. Right. Uh, right. At least I saw it that way. Yeah. Uh, at least enough of friendship you know, to get mm, through school, right, right, you know what I mean? Right. Enough of friendship to get through school. Yeah, so, you know, luckily there were always youth groups and things. And in fact, that's a big part of my my high school years was being part of really dynamic youth groups mm. that provided, you know, really great friendships and mm. and really great, you know, kind of a, a body of people. And before Steubenville, though, you said you had a spiritual kind of conversion? Or, I did, yeah. I did. So even though, you know, I'm raised in a Catholic home, mm-hmm. So I went to mass every Sunday. Never, mm-hmm. we never missed mass, and and uh, said grace before meals, and and prayed before we went to bed at night. So that's what I mean by a devout Catholic home. My parents right. were believers, and we had you know kind of yeah. certain measured aspects of faith in our home. So mm-hmm. kind of a typical mm-hmm. Catholic family. But what happened to me was I went in one of these mini moves. We we moved to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and. Uh, my parents always made it a point that we went to whatever Catholic functions were going on. So there was a, a parish picnic mm-hmm. and we went and my sister and I, who's two years older than me, we were noticing these signs for for a retreat that was coming up. And I was a bratty 13 year old mm-hmm. or 14 year old at that point and thinking, oh, I don't want to have to go to this stupid thing. And I was very mm-hmm. negative and yeah. a little bit obnoxious. And, um, you know, mom is going to sign us up and the whole thing. Yeah. So we did get you know, forced to go and um, sort of there were 65 other young people. And that retreat is what really opened me up. That mm-hmm. retreat had a really big impact on me. And it's interesting because it, it wasn't one of these big retreat movements or a kind of a formalized movement in the church, which mm-hmm. are wonderful, mm-hmm. but it was just simply a group of parents in the parish who, who were recognizing the fact that we're losing the kids here. Like the kids are not really believing in the faith and they were really concerned about their own kids and just the children, just youth. And they got together and they started praying and they decided to just pull together a retreat. So it was like a, you know, a shoestring kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And on the, on the Saturday night of the retreat, they stood up, I think six or seven of these just adults, normal parents stood up and, and just shared from the heart who Jesus was to them. Hmm. I will never forget. I sat in the very back because I was like really hardened and kind of closed mm-hmm. to everything. And I was putting off this appearance like I'm too cool for mm-hmm. this kind of thing. But I was really listening. And um, I mean, I had, a, I was just attitude. I was just, my face just screamed out, I've got an attitude, don't come near me. <laughs> and um, yet, yet I heard every word and, and it touched me because I, I remember thinking these people are talking about Jesus like they personally know him. Like they talk to him every day. And of course they did talk to him every day, but this was new for me. Yeah. I mean, we went to mass, but I I didn't, my parents didn't speak about Jesus as if they knew him. Now they know him in their own way. Right, I don't, I'm right. not being critical of them. They knew him in their own way, but there was something different. So I went back to my, my bunk. And these were the retreat leaders. They were, yeah. Okay. They're like young adults. Today, well, they're just sort of normal. I, it's hard to say now. So I would have uh, been 14 or so and they're probably worth late 30s, mid 40s, oh, okay. some of them maybe 50s even, yeah. uh, but just parents, they're mm. just like parents. Mm. And so I went back to my room, my, my, my bunk in this camp in the middle of the woods in Tennessee. Mm. And, um, and I, I remember at least thinking, I'm not even sure I was really praying, you know, but just at least thinking these thoughts, mm. reflecting that, first of all, that they seemed to know something and have something that I did not have. And I remember thinking, I want to know God like that. I want mm. to know God like that. 
and that that started to change everything. I just and what it what changed for me was I started to pray, and I started to really pay attention. So meaning, I always went to mass. I could not go to mass, but now I went to mass, and I remember just being just heightened in attention. So everything that's happening. I mean, the readings are being read, and I am listening. I am so aware. And I remember specifically when the creed was prayed that next Sunday, standing there at Mass, and as each phrase of the creed, as we were saying that together as a congregation, I remember thinking to myself, do I believe that? Do Mm -hmm. I believe that? And I remember answering interiorly, yes, yes. And I think it's probably the first time I ever prayed Mm -hmm. the creed with a very, very, very conscious attention but also an assent. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I remember consciously assenting to the creed. And then from there, it just, it, it grew. And it grew through prayer and then getting involved in a, in a prayer group and et cetera. So like the fruit of the retreat was kind of a desire. It wasn't, did you actually experience something very powerful there? At the... Well, uh, good question, Father Mark. Yeah. I, it was certainly desire mm-hmm. and um, no. And there was no kind of like, charismatic experience of right, like the presence right, of God right. or a movement of the spirit within me, mm-hmm. nothing like that at all. It really was desire. And I would even say maybe faith because I, I started to believe it was possible. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, it, that not that I had doubted it before. I just didn't know it was, I did, mm-hmm. I wasn't awakened to this possibility, but even as I wanted it, I somehow knew it was possible. So it's kind of like faith. And then the third thing was the desire to be a saint even because as, as it went on the next day and as more things were happening, I, I got in touch with a, a desire to be a saint, like not mm-hmm. not a canonized saint, mm-hmm. you know, but just to be to be hol- holy, right. you know, to right. be close to God. There is a God. I want to know Him and be close close to Him somehow. Right. I didn't verbalize any of that, and I mentioned that because you know a lot of adults that might be listening might be involved in parish ministry to young people in mm-hmm. some form, and you know I was that obnoxious kid in the back of the class that looks like they're not paying attention, who you know really doesn't have a word to say and they really opened it up for sharing but I wouldn't say a word but mm. I mean that I still obviously I point to that as the retreat that changed my life those people that ran it probably have no idea right that I was right. changed forever right by what they did yeah where in Tennessee was it, it was called Camp Christian oh. was the, the location uh-huh. but it was we were all living we were all, we were all military families oh. at, at Fort Campbell uh, Fort Campbell uh, Kentucky you gotta look them so up. if anybody out there listening <laughs> was one of the uh, the uh, leaders, changed my life. It would have been around 1989. So you get to Steubenville, and uh, what happens there? You had a great experience. And, I sure did have a great experience. So Steubenville, of course, is years later after that. But I, I get there. I've been praying. It was a Catholic school. I'm, my family's all in Germany now. I'm, I'm just blown away. The Blessed Sacrament is in almost every building on campus. Mm-hmm. I was blown away by this. Mm-hmm. Mass offered three times a day, confessions. I just had never experienced Catholic culture and, and sacramental life like this before. So I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was pinching myself every semester, like, where am I? Is this real? Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, um, so yeah, so it was a wonderful, wonderful experience just surrounded by the faith and it was nurturing. And well, I guess we should back up. Like, well, did that experience, it went up to the creed, did it really, did you? take up greater prayer in your high school years and I did yeah, straight yeah. through high school so I started I I didn't know how to pray mm-hmm. I had no one guiding me yeah. I didn't know how to pray but I um I started by well I got a bible and I thought if God has one book I'm going to read it yeah. so I started at the beginning like yeah. you're not supposed to do <laughs> and plowed through by sheer willpower by sheer willpower I mean, see I started that tried to do that a few times in my life but I couldn't get through Leviticus yeah it's I mean like... I got through Leviticus at night and I'm like 14 years old and I'm like do not boil the goat in the blood of its mother and I'm like God like I have no idea but just keep going keep going so I, I I persevered through that. It's just a sheer act of probably pride or willpower. I don't or know. Or the what. German in you? Is that yeah, the German? probably so. Probably <laughs> so. So I plowed through that. And then I'd also, but I also started to pray. So that was reading the scriptures was the beginning, but also starting to pray. And I'd start, I had a notebook and I would just write my prayers out. Dear Jesus, you know, and I would just write out what was in my heart, what was in my mind. And I learned to pray that way, mm. really. Um, that was the beginning. Okay. And 
extra masses or you went to confessions and really? no idea about confession now i didn't know about confession and we went as a family during advent at the penance service that the parish would offer and during lent mm -hmm. it wasn't until college and they're offering confessions all the time that i even realized you could go outside of advent and lent I, and i really it was embarrassing yeah. it was here i'm at steubenville where everyone is so devout and so sacramental and i'm like <laughs> it's not lent this is not lent like what's going on here you know like you mean you can go to confession it was news to me well, yeah i didn't know you could go to daily mass i remember one time we missed mass we were on a vacation as a family and we went that monday and uh, I was like, what? They have mass on them? Yeah, mass other times on Sunday? What's going yeah, on? Yeah. yeah, so I, so I, yeah, so I, I learned a lot and I started going to confession a little bit, but I had to even learn to go to confession, like how to even examine my conscience. Like, what do you even, you know, you think like, what am I possibly doing wrong? I'm not killing anybody. You know, so I, that was a slow learning. I've had a priest laugh at me in the confessional. Um, I had another priest tell me like, well, that's the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, thanks a lot, buddy. <laughs> so, you know, little by little, I, I got a formation in these things. And yes, I started going to daily mass. This was another grace because having gone from certainly Sunday mass my whole life, but as soon as I got on campus, again, with no instruction or anything other than the Holy Spirit himself, who was always guiding me, I just started going to daily mass. Like day one, I just started going mm. to daily mass. It's like, this is, I'm going. And, yeah. and I went to daily mass and I slowly started going to confession more frequently when I mm. got to chisel away that iceberg a little bit. Mm. And um, so yeah, so that was my formation. It was yeah. a profound formation for me. And did you have like a charismatic experience or? I did. So to, to back up again, after mm. that retreat experience that, that opened me up and starting to pray, I learned from those same people that there was this prayer group and I got invited to it. Would I, would I want to come mm -hmm. to this prayer group? And uh, my sister and I said, sure, we'll go. And it was yeah. all people our parents' age, but we went to it. We mm -hmm. went to it. And that that was really beautiful. And I was prayed with there. And I and that also enhanced my, my life of prayer and my openness to God mm -hmm. there through that. And that fueled my reading of scripture. And I, do receive, I did receive some significant graces at that time. Um, they offered baptism in the Holy Spirit at that, which is simply being prayed over for a stirring up of the Spirit, which I which I received. Now, unlike many people, I did not have a profound sensational experience. Was, I didn't mm -hmm. really sense anything in my person, and yet I knew something happened. And as I look yeah. back on it now with all the education I have now, I see, I can see, it was an unf unfelt graces, but it gave me the grace of prayer. And I think some of that perseverance in prayer came through that. Right. Also, um, praying the gift of tongues came later on, not immediately upon being prayed over. And I also think the gift of prayer, I mean, like not just taking a prayer time, but praying with others. I saw that immediately manifest and I wouldn't have, I didn't know at the time, oh, this is God giving me a gift. Only later could I look back and see, oh yeah, when... People come, do you want you to pray or could recognize there was a gift of prayer there? That was God. God gave you that when mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? Right, so I can right. see now different graces that came, although it was completely unsensational. Mm. So wow. it's just interesting because it's so different for everybody. Okay. And what did you major in? Well, that was complicated because I changed <laughs> a few times. Um, one of my many problems is I'm just interested in too many things, uh -huh. in, interested in everything, and I didn't have enough self-knowledge yeah. to, to know really which direction to move in. Yeah. So I started out, when I got to Steubenville, I had a dream of being becoming a missionary doctor. That way I could get married, have children, be a missionary, and live a radical life for the Lord, and sort of have it all. Mm. Like That was just like the have-it-all dream. Yeah. And that was my dream going in. Yeah. So I started out biology. Uh, as a biology major with a pre-med emphasis. Mm. Boy, it's too much science. I mean, I, all those days in the lab, I was like, you know, I like this, but I don't love it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I switched out of that. I ended up graduating with a double major in theology and history and a, uh, a concentration in cate catechetics. Oh, wow. So, it, which ultimately just means I took way too many credit hours every semester trying to like, you know, change majors and yeah. complete in four years and just you completed in four years I, yeah wow double major because i'm a crazy person that took, like i said <laughs> way too much way too much 
And then the religious calling, or did you work a little bit after school, or what? Yeah, a religious calling. Um, I did work for a year mm -hmm. before I entered the, or, or was it two years? I guess oh, nearly two years. Um, but yes, it was stirring at those years, those years mm -hmm. at Steubenville. And, and what happened was, again, not being exposed really to religious as a, as a young person in junior high and high school at all, I never thought about it. And now suddenly I'm in this wonderful Catholic, Catholic environment uh -huh. and it's run by friars and there are religious just everywhere. And so I'm seeing this really for the first time. And also at the same time as I'm kind of, my eyes are being opened to this possibility of religious life. Another idea is dawning on me that I'm sure someone said along the way in my catechetics, my CCD classes, but it never registered for me until I'm there. The, the idea, the concept, the simple concept that God has a plan for our lives. Right. That he created us for a purpose. Because I remember this is dawning on me. I thought, how did I miss that? Like, mm -hmm. how, that's pretty big. <laughs> like, there's a purpose? There's, because I was operating as if I was just supposed to figure out what I loved. Oh, right. And just do what you love, you know, yeah, figure out yeah. your passion and what are you good at yeah, and yeah. run after it. And mm -hmm. all the major changing and all this, I was trying to figure that out. Just write the script of your life and then mm -hmm. live it. You know, mm -hmm. that's what I was trying to do. And I thought that was a fine thing to do. Mm -hmm. and no one was dissuading me from moving through life in that way. Because your, your dad like didn't tell you, you need to study this? Or, no, no, they yeah. were very hands off, my parents. Yeah. They were very hands off. Very laid back about it and just really let us be free. And so then, so then I'm realizing, well, God has a plan for my life and I'm seeing religious people and it's occurring to me like God's plan for my life could be this thing I see in front of me, religious life. And that honestly, it, it, that scared me. Mm. That scared me. And did you have much contact like with her TOR sisters there? And well, I saw them, mm -hmm. you know, and even in the dorm yeah. that I lived in, there were the Martyrs of St. George and oh. uh, the TORs, of course, Friars run the place and the TOR sisters were starting there too. And, and the, I mean, the Carmelites study, there are a lot of religious communities send sisters to study. Mm -hmm. So you have sisters sitting there in your class and this and that. So, I mean, there's just sisters everywhere right. as far as I was concerned. But um, I never engaged them. Like I would not go and talk to them. Mm. I wouldn't. I, I had this uh, real hesitation and it was fear. I mean, looking back, I was just, I was afraid that God might be calling me and it looked too foreign, uh, too serious. It just looked serious and staunch. Yeah, and I thought yeah. I'd surely be unhappy. That's the bottom yeah, line. Yeah. I thought that life, I'm sure it's holy and it's good that it exists. I'm glad it's there's such a thing. I'm I really glad somebody's am. doing it. And I'm glad somebody's doing it, but I don't think I want to be that person. I really don't think I want to be that person. And so I had a, a strong resistance in me yeah. to it, out of misconceptions and mm -hmm. all of that. I remember I did a summer at Steubenville. Our pre-theology did some philosophy and some stuff. But they had Nashville Dominican sisters there, and they were like rip-roaring fun. I mean, we'd be in the cafeteria laughing, and they'd be joking around and stuff. And... Uh, but they, uh, they, we had a good time with them. But, That's great. Yeah, yeah you had yeah. a real image. That it could yeah. be. Yeah, I should have engaged them. I mean, I can see now. I should have just gone and talked to them. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I. Whew. Well, and you know, the other reason is, and this is, see, at Steubenville, there are always more uh, women in the student body than there are men. There's always more female population mm. than male population. And so the, the fact is. I wanted to go to the spring formal and said, if I'm not hanging out with the nuns, yeah. my dating life is over. So, right. so I really did try to keep that really. The question was in me, could I possibly be called? But no one was going to hear me say that out loud. That was my <laughs> attitude. Like, you better believe I'm not going to voice that because I am planning to go to the spring formal. <laughs> so what happened? You worked a year or two and yeah. what made you willing there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I got so I was in a bit of an agony, you know, yeah. this question, and yeah, thinking I probably wanted to get, rather get married and have kids, and kind of back and forth. I had no idea how to go through a discernment process of any kind. And did you, you have a boyfriend, or were you dating? I did. Yeah, I was dating someone in the last two, you know, two years of college, mm -hmm. and that caused a lot of interior conflict, honestly. Mm -hmm. And and I learned a lot about discernment though mm -hmm. by by doing that because as I look back, I can remember I went to daily mass, like I said. And I, I was really, I see that God was giving me a grace of prayer because I would remain there and, and, and the Lord was giving me a gift. And I was, it was a consoling time of prayer also. Mm -hmm. 
And in that consoled time of prayer after Mass, I wanted nothing but God alone. Mm -hmm. And I remember that. I remember that strong feeling within me, like God is all I want. Now, if I had been paying attention to that, and also if I would have had a spiritual director that someone I was sharing that with, it would have been really easy to piece together, this, this is a call to religious life. Mm-hmm. But I, I couldn't piece that together myself, and I, and I was still too close to it. But when I was with my boyfriend, you know, because I was still dating and yet experiencing a call, I, I, I wanted marriage. You know, I wanted the normal thing. I wanted this love mm-hmm. and affection, this kind of, you know, um, the spousal relationship mm-hmm. with someone and to, and to have my own, found my own family with, with a husband. So that, you know, we're out, marriage sounds great, I'm in the chapel, Lord, you're all I want. And it's kind of <laughs> like this back and forth schizophrenic, you know, yeah. for interior experience for quite a while. So how did I get past mm-hmm. it? I graduated and we broke up <laughs> and that was one one seam uh-huh. and, and still left with the interior question though. Yeah. To the point where I was like, you know what, I, I don't, know how I, you know, am ever going to figure this out. I felt a cer- certain desperation. Mm-hmm. Like, how am I supposed to figure How do people figure this out? You know? And I remember I did have a devotion to Our Lady and I'd made my total consecration to Our Lady the previous year. And I remember just interiorly going to her, which now I know is a type of Ignatian prayer, but I didn't know that. I didn't know anything about St. Ignatius and, and, as a model of prayer, but imaginative prayer and seeing and smelling and feeling. And, and so in, in a very imaginative way, I saw myself as an infant, not even as a child, but as, a, as an infant in Our Lady's arms. And I said, Mother Mary, just carry me to the will of the Father. Just take me there. Like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how, I don't even know what discernment is. Like, I, I can't, you know, just this humility, uh, uh, finally, a little drop of humility to say, like, I really don't know how to do this and I need help. You know, I need help. I became a real beggar before a lady. And I am, it's, there's no doubt in my mind, she obtained the grace for me to, ex- to know and to accept, to accept mm-hmm. my call. See, my call was there. You know, it was there. It was deep down, like we were speaking earlier today. It was, it was in my heart, but I just didn't have the courage to, to go beneath the layers to get to that place and just and to accept it with faith. My trust in God wasn't strong enough. I see now. My trust in God, it had to grow. It had to grow. I wasn't uh, trusting in, I didn't know him well enough to trust him. Right. So, so I, I gave it to Our Lady and um, yeah, and she, she gave me the grace to be able to hear his voice with greater clarity. Hmm. And you heard about the CFR sisters, and yes, so they uh, in 1993. So I was at Steubenville between 92 and 96. And 93, mm-hmm. as you remember, was World Youth Day in Denver. Mm-hmm. And when John Paul II came to Denver for World Youth Day, I was it was between my freshman and sophomore year at Steubenville, yeah. and we took something like 16 or 18 buses from mm-hmm. Steubenville to Denver, and the CFRs came out from New York to help be spiritual leaders on the buses. Yeah. And that's how I met the community. Hmm. So this was years before all of this. And I met the community. And even though there's all these other communities around at Steubenville, when I met this community in 93, going to, Steuben- going to Denver, I was intrigued. I was intrigued. And I was very attracted to them. And I met a number of them, Father Robert, Father Stan, uh, different sisters as well. Father Robert... Father Robert Stanion, God rest his soul, oh, yeah. uh, one of the founding friars. He, what, he was in Phoenix, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I met him there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he was the first one I met. And I remember yeah. thinking, like, what am I encountering here? This is something what? special. So you went to World Youth Day. So I went to World Youth Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was that experience like? Well, you know, I, I love it in the sense that, you know, John Paul II, really became my hero. So I look back on that as a great moment of being with him. But I didn't get into any of the events. You know, you have all these major events and everybody has all the memories of being in like Mile, Mile High Stadium with John Paul II. Yeah. And, uh, but it was by lottery. There were more people than could fit in the stadium. So our group, I didn't get in. Like I didn't get into anything. <laughs> so You were you know, at Cherry Creek State Park. Though. Yeah, it was at Cherry Creek State yeah. Park, yes. And that was, that was awesome, truly awesome. Yeah. But, but all in all, it was a beautiful experience. And, um, and just being in the presence of John Paul II was amazing. But meeting the community that I would live my life with was also amazing. Yeah. 
And at that point, it was just the brothers, right? Well, there were there were sisters also. Oh, there were. Okay. Yeah, there were sisters. So, so then getting back from that, you know, at Steubenville, everybody's discerning something, and everybody wants to know if you're mm-hmm. discerning. And so you'd often get the question, like, "Oh, are you thinking about religious life mm-hmm. or whatever?" And my kind of standard pat answer for that was, "Well, I'm open," which I really wasn't open, <laughs> but I'm open. Uh, but God's not calling me to that, I don't think. But if if He was calling me, I would join the CFRs. Mm-hmm. Like I just had this mm-hmm. kind of sense of it. But it always had to insert in there, but he, I don't really think he's, yeah, you know, yeah. calling me. Right. So then later, when I knew that he was calling me, I, that, they're the first people I called. And then I went out and visited. <laughs> and, and so all that, that statement, my kind of pat statement yeah. became true. Yeah. <gasps> so yeah. eventually you felt like you were called. So you yeah. went to the CFRs and visited. and Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and it was very fast from, from there. Yeah. So that grace that Our Lady obtained for me. You know, it, was, it was the month of May when I made that meditation mm-hmm. and asked for that favor. <clears throat> the end of May, I was at Steubenville for a young adult conference, and it was Pentecost Sunday. It's 1998, mm-hmm. which, as you might remember, John Paul II designated as a year dedicated to the Holy Spirit. Oh. So it's a year of the Holy Spirit, yeah. Pentecost Sunday. Oh. I'm at Steubenville. Now I'm a graduate, but I'm there for the young adult conference. Yeah. And it's this huge mass. And at the elevation of the Blessed Sacrament at Mass, I had an experience where I just knew... I knew something in the, every cell of my being knew um, that Jesus was the only one that would satisfy my heart, mm. that I was looking in all the wrong places. And it was a very crystal clear knowledge. It was a knowledge that was given to me. It wasn't that I heard words, but a knowledge. And I, I, I suppose it was the Holy Spirit saying that to me because he said, Jesus is the only one that will satisfy you. So Jesus wasn't saying it. And looking back on it now, how do you, how would you explain that to someone that only God could satisfy you and what that meant looking yes. back? Yeah. It's it's a, it's a, that's a great question, Father Mark, because I still reflect on those words all the time. That was 25 yeah. years ago, 1998 Pentecost. Yeah. On this Pentecost, I really was reflecting on it. Right. Yeah. And it's it's interesting at the time, 25 years ago, I immediately knew that it meant I was called to be a sister. This was the answer to that question. But I also knew that it was a promise, like he's going to, mm. he means to, he intends to, he wants to, he desires to satisfy my heart. Mm. You know, and it, that what I'm looking for, what I desire is going to be fulfilled in him. Right. And so it was a promise. And, and when I got to the community and I was filled with joy and, you know, there's joys and there's sorrows and there's struggles and there's formation and there's crises and you know you go through it all but i i've always experienced the reality i've never doubted my call yeah you know i've never doubted my call and i've never doubted that promise but the way i experience that satisfaction that satiation now 25 years later is so much more full and more complete and more total Mm. i know that he means to he doesn't just mean to satisfy my emotions or my longing for spousal relationship, like that he'll be my spouse or that he'll give me spiritual children. Like he means to, to make me one with himself for eternity. Mm. And so, so I know it in the, in the biblical sense of mm. knowledge much more deeply now. Mm. And, and, I'm, and I know I will always into eternity. So right. it's, a, it's like a promise that's still with me and still mm. being fulfilled, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And yet, still there was there was trials, right? Maybe temptations to leave. And you told me a, it was a funny story. I thought it was funny, but it was powerful. Now I'm forgetting what it was. But you you thought you felt you were, were going to leave. Yeah. And, well, you know, when you're in a in a small and a young community, there are there are moments mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, where you just you wonder. You just you wonder. Yeah. <laughs> Just, Maybe there's better communities out there. Yeah. Or is or, or just is this gonna is it gonna is it gonna make it? Yeah, you know, is yeah. it gonna make it? Yeah. And um, so I, I did go through through. I, I, I would say more than one. I I would say two. There were two uh-huh. pretty significant temptations to to leave and go elsewhere. And both times, the Lord in His faithfulness. And I have to make that dis, that clear clarification. It's not that I doubted my call. Mm-hmm. I knew I was called. But it's like, am I going to live this here now? Right. Or, you know, is right. it, so it was a temptation to leave. And the Lord made it clear in such a beautiful way, and, and this is God's goodness and his respect for us, that I, he made it clear that I was free, you know, mm. that I was free. And that's important because he always respects our freedom. 
you know, meaning not like if, okay, you'll leave and then I'm going to punish you. I'm never going to love you again. You'll never right. receive blessing. Right. But no, he, he made me know that I really was free. Right. Meaning I'm not going to lose his love or his favor. I might lose my vocation, uh-huh. but I'm not going to lose God. Right. You know. And that was just an interior sense? Just an interior sense. Yeah. It just made me know yeah. that. Yeah. Because sometimes you can stay like in maybe bad marriages or marriages you shouldn't stay in, that abusive. It might be a fear of some kind, you know. That, And I always feel for sisters that way more because, you know, like a priest maybe lives, leaves religious life. He can be a Dawson priest probably. And, you know, a sister is 40s and 50s. It's harder to... Yeah. <laughs> And what are you going to do? Um, yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. But it's, yeah. And the children, was that a big issue? Like you wanted to have children? And uh, I know some women really wrestle with that. But Yeah. For me, marriage and children all went together as one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, was the, that was the big struggle in co- the college years. And that mm-hmm. was that back and forth between, okay, I'm dating. This could, this could result in a beautiful marriage. Mm-hmm. But wait a minute, there's this call. So it was marriage and children, for sure. And yeah, I mean, there's no, there's yeah. nobody that's not, you know, if it's just such a natural yeah. desire. But I also remember, in fairness, though, because the Lord was was already operating. I remember taking a Scott Hahn class, the Christian marriage class, with him, a night class, and we were reading the document on on Christian marriage and other things <clears throat> as well. And we're. Re- I was reading Edith Stein for some reason. I don't know if it was for that class or for another class. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I remember I took the Christian marriage class because I was trying to talk myself into this vocation. I was here, I'm serious in this call. I'm like, no, I know I'm going to be called to this. I know I'm going to be called to this, you know. And uh, But anyway, I'm reading Edith Stein. And um, she had a beautiful line about, about the children. Oh, goodness, I'm not going to get this right. Mm-hmm. But it's about something about spiritual motherhood. And it really moved my heart. Right. And I put that up against, you know, next to what you learn in Christian marriage about, you know, the the unitive and the procreative mm-hmm. aspects of, of the marital union and how children deserve to be like in this loving, right. you know. And, and I remember thinking about all the children who do not come into this world right. in that way. And mm-hmm. I thought, and I remember this desire in my heart, like, I want to mother those children. Mm-hmm. Like how many children are already in this world that did not come to this beautiful understanding of Christian marriage and self-gift and selflessness and self-sacrificing love and openness to life. That's a beautiful truth of our faith and a beautiful goal and ideal. And it's what it is. But how many, how many have never known that? And, and so this desire for spiritual motherhood awakened in my heart then, and then later reading Einstein, that's where Einstein comes in. I saw that she had written on that. So that desire was growing simultaneous to the natural desire of wanting to have, you know, have my own family like, like anybody would. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I guess we can come back to that in a second, but I guess we kind of cut you off. You said you felt free. You could leave if yeah. you wanted, but what made you want to stay? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So God made me know that I was free. So that's a very important, but he also made me know that if I walked over the threshold of the convent, which I was free to do, and I wouldn't lose his love, I would be stepping outside of his will for me. Mm. And I, I just, I just knew it, and I can't explain that knowing. You know, that's a gift of grace in that moment, but it's a very clear gift of knowledge. Right. And I rem- I'll never forget that night, that evening, when, when just. The, the realization washed over me and it, it was a severe temptation to leave. Like I was, mm-hmm. my bags were packed. My room was mm-hmm. clean. Like I was going to go. Mm-hmm. And this, the, the knowledge of that came over me and I made the decision to stay. I said, I will not walk out of God's will. Yeah. Like I choose to stay. And I remember I set up the, you know, we're getting ready for the next day mm-hmm. and set up the coffee in the kitchen to go off the timer the next time. And I remember setting up the coffee and I thought, and I often would think about it later say, setting up the coffee, it saves your vocation. Like just do the next good thing that you're supposed to do. Right. You know, save my vocation, just yeah. do the next thing. Because I felt the same pretty yeah. much. Emotionally, I felt the same. Yeah. And um, Do it, the next right thing. Next just day. do the next right thing <laughs> and you're going to get past this. And that's that's been true in my vocation. And then let's jump back to spiritual motherhood again. <laughs> uh, picking your brain here, we got time, I guess, but... How do you see that? How would you explain that to someone? Like prayer, interceding, suffering with, or how, how do you see that? Yeah, it, it's all of the above. Yeah. All yeah. of the above for sure. And I, I remember 
you know, the novena, you know, the Divine Mercy novena that starts on Good Friday and ends on Divine Mercy Sunday. Mm-hmm. And there's prayers for each day. And if, if any of the listeners have, have seen that, the wording of those prayers is very interesting. One year I was doing that novena and the word bring to me really touched me. Mm-hmm. Bring to me. Mm-hmm. As Jesus saying to St. Faustina and whoever does the novena, uh, bring to me you know, all those who are lukewarm, bring to me all those who do not know me or who have rejected me, bring right. to me. And I started to, to reflect on that bring to me because here I am sitting in a chapel uh, in New York City and Jesus is saying to me, bring to me. And I just started to think about the capacity of the heart in prayer to bring souls to Jesus. Mm-hmm. That, isn't that mystical and wonderful? Mm-hmm. Like, how is it that I can bring to you Jesus? How is it that I can bring to you through my prayer? And just the mystery of the economy of grace in prayer. And so, yes, intercession. And and I was, and I, what I learned, and I think the Holy Spirit was teaching me then, and has continued to teach me in different ways, that that the heart, the heart is a, like a maternal womb. You know, we, we mm-hmm. think of the womb carrying life mm-hmm. in the body physically, mm-hmm. but the heart is is a womb. And we're meant by our prayers to carry, to term souls and let them be mm. born from us through through our prayers, through our sacrifices, and through accompaniment too, for sure. Yeah. And there's people, and you've experienced this, I'm sure, in your fatherhood, your spiritual fatherhood, that there are times when someone's just given to you to care for, uh, mm. to accompany. Maybe they come to you for spiritual direction, maybe just for advice. Maybe mm. it's a postulant under your care in religious life. Mm-hmm. Um, young people we're working with. But there's some, then there might be a whole group of them, but there's some that they're drawing more from you mm-hmm. and, and they're just, they're, they're a spiritual child and, and, and God entrusts them to you to guide them and, and to assist them. And so it can have a broad sense of just this intercession that can be for the whole world or for a certain ca- cause within it, the unborn or mm-hmm. something within it and your mother in that way. But then it can be very, very specific for souls that he sends you very, very directly. Right. And I'm sorry, did you say that that was your idea about the womb and the heart? Or I've never heard that before. That's well, really the, the Holy Spirit was just showing me that, especially oh. through that word bring. It, yeah. it, that was where the insight came through the Divine Mercy yeah. Novena. When I read that word bring mm-hmm. and then just reflected on how am I going to bring you? My heart is a womb. My heart is a womb yeah. to yeah. bring you. I've never heard that. That's really beautiful. I, you know, I was watching The Chosen have you seen those at all? I've seen a few. I'm yeah. I'm not I haven't seen any in season yeah. three yet though, so okay. I'm really behind. Yeah, this was the one where Mary brings Mary Magdalene back to Jesus. You know, like she had relapsed and was in some neighbor town. They went and got her and she came back and then it was Mary the one that brought her literally into the tent where Jesus was staying. And I was like, wow, those Protestants are really good. Mm. <laughs> and and yeah, you know, some I've I've heard some very good Mariologists talk about, like that's the way they like to see the Blessed Mother as standing with us at the foot of cross, interceding, opening for our hearts to be open to receive this grace. Um, and I don't know, it was something about, you know, I could see how like a Protestant would read the scriptures and just kind of physically see it that way. But I, I thought too, there's like a, a deep theology there, you know, that's what you remind me of, the mm. bringing too. And mm-hmm. it, and it's like, I, I've, that's hit me more the last few years as a priest and the, the power of the sacraments. I mean, just like a few weeks ago, I was at a parish preaching and, um, and I, was, I was just telling the people, you know, just come to confession. You know, I, I know mm. whatever, you might be afraid, or you might wonder how's this gonna go, what's gonna happen, just come, just come to confession. Mm. <laughs> I mean, obviously you wanna prepare and everything, but some people are at the point of just, they're maybe they're frightened by it or scared, or they're worried they might not be warmly welcomed or somewhat judged or whatever it is, just, just come. And mm. it's like, just come in, in front of Christ and you know, in front of the mystery of Christ. It's almost, not like these hard and fast lines of his physical body and I'm over here, but just that mystery of Christ that you're yeah. being drawn into and just come to adoration. Mm. You know, just come and sit before him in adoration, mm-hmm. see what happens, you know, that grace is being poured out. It's like, I was at a Protestant funeral one time and um, and the guy, the, the pastor, 
he was going on about works, you know, faith and works. <laughs> and, uh, and it kind of hit me when he was talking. He was attacking what their view of the Catholic position is. But I, I remember I, it hit me. He said, you know, Al, this is why I think of it, is that, you know, the sacraments, because they, they look at it, okay, you're doing these ritualistic works. You know, just have this personal relationship with Jesus, you're saved, whatever. But in the sacraments, like these places of encounter where Christ is working on us, mm. come receive the work of Christ, mm. that paschal mystery of our redemption, you know, present in the sacraments. He's doing the heavy lifting. Yeah. He's like reviving this dead corpse back to life in confession. You know, the Eucharist, he's the one sustaining us and drawing us into his life. Um, that's it, yeah. Yeah, so Amen. I like that bring and come. That's mm -hmm, good. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, and it just grows, you know, for, for women, maternity, motherhood is the key to our identity for every woman, just like mm -hmm. paternity is the key to the masculine identity. And it's it's underdeveloped, you know, it's underdeveloped, but there's a, there's a real depth to what God wants to do in and through women through their maternity. Mm -hmm. Spiritual motherhood. And it, I mean, in my observation, it, it seems like it, it is like a labor pain, isn't it? I mean, it's like a giving birth that just, I mean, we saw that with Mother Angelica and the network and, you know, just all these different sufferings, just, you know, just mysterious sufferings would come and go. I mean, after she had her strokes, her asthma left her. She had this terrible asthma, like in the 90s. Mm had her strokes and the asthma was gone. You know? She had the back pain, the crutches for all those years. She had a healing there, but then got hit with strokes and, and then bedridden for mm. years. And um, so, yeah, I, I think obviously with her, you know, the growth of the network and everything, it was like, you know, I think my view, I, I think God entrusted her with it, you know, that, a cloistered nun it wouldn't be like your first choice obviously but she had this willingness just to be open you know to carry the cross and see this thing through you know exactly what a great example what yeah. a great example yeah and it, just like with a family with a natural family you know our, our teaching our catholic teaching is so beautiful but mm -hmm. so strong you know about you know, not using contraception, for example, that openness to life, yeah. you know, and it's hard for, for sometimes in the culture, mm -hmm. especially, obviously, but for our life, spiritually speaking, it's the same. Like we can't contracept, yeah. you know, we have to be, um, we're, we're called by God to this profound openness mm -hmm. to the, to the children mm -hmm. he's going to send. And so in Mother Angelica, like, like you're saying, yeah. it's very unexpected. It's like, right. it's very unexpected, but right. it's like that, that's the, the child, if you will, that, right. that was sent. And, right. and so we're called, if we're going to preach this, this hard calling to, to families, we have to live it in our own vocation, this, this profound, this radical openness to the will of God yeah. in whatever form uh, that, that comes in. And with labor pains, yeah, that, uh, suffering is, is an important part of it. You mm -hmm. know, it's an important part of our life mm -hmm. to receive suffering well, to, to live suffering well. Uh, not not so much for ourselves, although for ourselves, but yeah. for our children. Yeah. You know, this is how this is how new life, spiritual life, comes into the world too. Like there's prayer and suffering. Yeah. Like when we get to heaven, we'll people who prayed and suffered for right. us to receive right. those graces. You know, and you know, I think about sometimes too, like the people that have this hidden suffering. You know, they're not a priest. They're not recognized as maybe religious or something. It's just like this. You know, like the other day, you know, I was with a woman that just had this constant back pain, you know, that was just like, and, you know, I don't know how many people that she has in her life encouraging her or whatever. You know, in fact, you tend to, in the world, you tend to get more isolated, right? You hmm. get sicker and people don't want to fool with you as much or whatever. And I think of like that group of people that persevere faithful yeah. with no kind of acknowledgement, praise or... Mm -hmm. And uh, and they live by that kind of faith. That's powerful. You know, it's very powerful. Yeah. The, the other thing that strikes me too about you know just uh, this thing about bring to me that you know I did a baptism last Sunday and the child was like two weeks old. 
And yeah, you know, at some point you, you anoint the chest and the crown of the head. And I remember just like touching his chest. It was like, he felt so fragile. There's like no muscle, right? It's just mm -hmm. like a little bit of fat. And it just, it just, it just struck me as like so unbelievably fragile. Mm -hmm. And then the mother like held the child over the baptismal font, she did it perfectly. She angled him a little bit, you know, into the water. So the water hits the forehead, and just goes off the back of his head. It was, I was like, but it was funny when she held him like that. Everybody around just smiles. They just see something. I mean, I was smiling, and I'm not a big liturgical smiler, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the mother smiles, and then the, you know, everybody around. There's something about that fragileness of life that's mm. entrusted to you know, this family, this couple. And you think about it, like spiritually, you know, Mary is bringing us, you know, we're that weak, you know, we're that yes. dependent. Yes. That, you know, that's how she must see us. I mean, we, you know, we could be so corrupted by our sins and everything, but I like, would like to think that she'd still see us, someone so fragile, messed up, got torn up by the world, whatever happened in their life, family of origin, and maybe horrible decisions, you know, <laughs> but still it's like, forgive them, they know not what they do. And Mary's like the good mother that's holding this precious gift right mm. in her hands. And, uh, it's you know, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that she sees us that way and yes, can bring and will bring, is bringing us. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Now, Father Andrew Apostle is your founder of your community. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell us about something of his spirit that inspires you. And, hmm. and Well, Father Andrew, uh, let's see. My goodness, Father Andrew was one of the most joyful people and, and consistently joyful people I've maybe ever known. You know, very, hmm. and yeah, he would come to the convent consistently you know, he was dedicated to us all. And, and as we grew one convent, two convents, three convents, he, he made it a point, like in a week's time, he would be getting to each convent to say mass. So he, he spent his time with us. And even though as busy as he is with all of his, mm -hmm. his books and his the cause for Fulton Sheen and trips to EWTN and the Blue Army Shrine spent a ton of time with it. Mm -hmm. And all the things that he did in his apostolates, he was very devoted to us into being with us. So what, what strikes me is just his simplicity of his dedication to presence mm -hmm. and his ability to be present to us. Mm -hmm. Because I, and I, he would sit at the breakfast table after mass you know, as if he had nothing else to do in the day. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we would just be talking and laughing. Mm -hmm. And I reflect on that now as in, in the busyness being in the role that I'm in, I do not sit at the breakfast. I most, I, I, very, I rarely even eat breakfast. You know, and if I am there, like I'm quickly on yeah. to the next thing. And sometimes, and I do it, I hopefully do it gracefully right. and, and, and perfectly. But I think about him sometimes. Yeah. He, he wanted to be with community. Like right. he was a community man. He wanted right. to be around the brothers, when he's with the brothers and around the sisters. Mm -hmm. So that witness of just loving the brethren, mm -hmm. it strikes me. It strikes me and the joy that he had in it. And maybe it strikes me in part because it's not my strongest point of mm -hmm. all the aspects of our life. Mm -hmm. For me, it's a weaker point. Mm -hmm. And for him, it was a very strong point. And it's beautiful, beautiful that how much he loved, he loved community and the joy he had just to shoot the breeze and tell his jokes and, yeah, and yeah. just to be just natural and, and yeah. uh, he was just great. Yeah, I got to go to, to uh, Lourdes with him just that summer before he passed and, uh, and he was in a wheelchair some but it, sometimes he was pushing somebody else in the wheelchair. <laughs> it was like funny. <laughs> but I remember having lunch with him. Yeah, he gave you that quality. Like, yeah, he wasn't in any hurry. You know, if he didn't make whatever plans, you know, we come up with or whatever, that was fine. You know, he was yeah. just very accepting. And, uh, and uh, but yeah, he was a joy. And just simplicity, yeah, commitment to the life. Mm -hmm. You know, he just mm -hmm. seemed just radiated being a friar. Yeah. Yeah, faithfulness. Uh, he was just utterly faithful yeah. to to what the commitments are. You know, if he was supposed to do it, prayer-wise especially, he, he did it. Yeah. yeah, he was faithful. You know, one of your strengths, though, is communication, isn't it? Like, uh, communi I know, like on the mission trip. Me? Yeah. 
Personally? Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. I'm a communicator. <laughs> yeah, you want to talk, I can talk. Yeah. Because I know on this mission trip, there was like, how many, five, six of us or something, but it, you always wanted to get together. Yes. You know, and sometimes before and after stuff. And, uh, and that's been something you've learned from experience or is it? Well, the mission trip is unique in that, you know, here we are in Africa and it's it's a vulnerable situation in every way. And it, there can be some dangers and different things and, it, and it's challenging. So in that setting, I, I just have made it a priority for we have got to do this as a team. Uh-huh. And in order to be a team, sometimes people that don't know each other very well at all, right. we, you know, just we're going to meet every day yeah. to connect. So it is a particular like a mission intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, so at home, like, you know, I mean, I've got it, you know, like the, the elements of community, but it's just not my strongest. Mm. It's not my, yeah, yeah. it's the fraternal aspect of, cause there's a, there's a solitary element in me as right. well right. that I, I, I really love. You kind of recharge. By yeah. Yourself. yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. more, yeah. but with father Andrew, you know, he, he, he really ran towards the brethren, so to speak. And I, I admired that. Yeah, I wanted to do this little quiz show with you. Oh, <laughs> I you were you're giving some talks on prayer and the Ethiopian mission, and then I, I, I wanted to get a copy. So I and I and with these notes, you also had some reflections on Teresa of Avila, the way of perfection, and I was struck by the stuff you highlighted. <laughs> like you would write out these big quotes, and then you would highlight. Like the first one is. To get to know God's friends is a very good way to getting to know Him. And uh, why did that strike you? Hmm. Yeah, I think I think that struck me um, because I've been realizing more and more, and, and this goes back to the community thing we were just talking about, but I realize more and more how s- individual people really do reflect some dimension of God in a really profound, in a really profound way. Right. And, and how community life draws, draws that out, mm-hmm. you know? So I, yeah, I found that, I found it beautiful the way she succinctly said that, getting to know God, you can get to know God by getting to know his friends. Yeah, you highlighted too, if you serve God as you should, then you will find no better relatives than those servants of God he sends you. Um, yeah, that's also striking because especially when you discern religious life and enter early on, you're, you're just plagued with the thoughts of what, and especially who you give up, mm-hmm. you know, who you give up. And, and you just don't relate in the same way with your family and your friends, and, and, and but how God does supply right and i guess 25 years in i i realize how true that is yeah and how the depths of relationship grow in in community in such profound ways mm-hmm. so i i think a part of it's like you know it's the it's the 25 years in review moment kind of yeah. thing like where you yeah. look at wow this, this is all really true like the promises are true yeah. it just takes a while to to kind of for the yeah. the fruit to get sweet you know and that's promise in the gospel, right? You leave family, friends, you'll be given these and more. And and then just a simple line says, we must practice detachment. And uh, I, I think you all do that well, brothers and sisters of your communities. Uh, Did I have that highlighted? Yeah. Detachment. Yeah, must <laughs> this is like my examination of conscience, <laughs> and now you're reading it back to me. <laughs> no, I feel like that's like a... That's yeah. a struggle every day, a monster struggle. You know, it is. Yeah. It is a struggle. And I, it probably highlighted for that reason. Like, <laughs> there's no way, you know, because it's striking too with those kind of principal things that the greats, like St. Teresa of Avila is such a great saint. Yeah. And when she writes something, she writes it with this authority. There's this authority. Yeah. And so you read it and you're like, you know, there's no skipping steps here. Right. You know, there's no skipping right. steps. And I think for a long time in my own spiritual life, I really wanted to skip steps. Mm-hmm. You know, all that wonderful seventh mansion mm-hmm. stuff sounds great. It right. sounds great. Right. But all that detachment stuff sounds yeah. horrible, you know, <laughs> <laughs> frankly. Right. And then it's just striking that, you know, but you just can't skip it. You got to embrace it at a certain yeah. point and live it. 
you highlight this one. We have come here to die for Christ, not to practice self-indulgence for Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's just because it's so darn funny. She's hilarious. Oh my goodness. Self-indulgence for Christ. I wonder, it sounds like, I guess she was, she would use irony, right? Or sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. She said, if you can bear something, do not talk about it. Yeah. So great. I highlight a lot of those things that, that I thought, I need to bring this into the teaching of the convent explicitly, yeah. you know. Learn to suffer a little for the love of God without telling anyone about it. And then base, one here too, it says, you know, if it's a serious enough illness, you know, people will know. They'll see you <laughs> suffering. <laughs> yeah, it's going to manifest itself soon enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's that all in. Thing. But uh, yeah, too, I think the beauty of like, recognizing the importance of friendship and I guess she had John of the Cross and mm -hmm. was it Peter Alcantara? Yes. Or something. Yeah. And I know that has been a big blessing in my life, too. Yeah. That, you know, I think really, you know, like just experiencing like the love of God from through others, you mm -hmm. know, that they form one piece, love God, love neighbor. And. Um, that's been a big source of healing and, and like believing God can love me, yes. you know, if this guy, you know, if we're friends and I can be friends with God. Yeah. Same, same. Yeah. There's sometimes you just, it has to come through a human form. And that's, I guess the whole point of the incarnation, but it's still true incarnationally in our own relationships. Right. Well, once. As she surrendered her will to him, what does she have to fear? So once, I guess, the soul surrenders their will to the, to him, what does he have to fear? <laughs> yeah, I love all the quotes that are like just total abandonment, you know, that idea yeah. that when you're really given over, it's over. Yeah. Like fear is over. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's the free fall, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like that. <laughs> I, I, I want that. There's that great speech in 12 o'clock high or something. It's like a you know, World War II movie about this flight fighter squ squadron. And he's, the commander's trying to, you know, to get the guys motivated. And he said, the problem is, you know, you, you haven't accepted that you're good as dead. You know, you think there's something still to live for or something. And I thought, that's very true in Christian life. You have to die to yourself, die to the world. And like, I'm holding on to this stuff. And then I lose my freedom, right? Mm. When I really died all that, then I could be free. Yeah, amen. It says, the life of a good religious who wants to be among God's closest friends is one long martyrdom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't put that on the, on the flyer. It's not like your banner on your website or something. <laughs> I remember Padre Pio, he said something like, we shouldn't even pray. A religious shouldn't pray to be healed or relieved. You know, you should willingly suffer. You know, I, I have to say that has a little bit of a resonance within me. You know, I thought I'd yeah. say that. I know it's not popular. I know that is not a popular opinion. But I, I get that. I mean, who, if not us, if, you know, because if you think about it, because healing is a big thing right now, you know, healing is just a big mm -hmm. topic and people are really running after healing. And I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm not, mm -hmm. God does heal yeah, and he heals and yeah. it's wonderful when he does and we glorify him when mm -hmm. he does and he should be praised for it. But we're in a special category, mm -hmm. you know, I think we're in a special category and, and if we're given something, it's a special opportunity to be united to his passion. Like what is more precious than that? Now, I mean, religious get healed too. And that's wonderful when that happens, but mm -hmm. when it doesn't happen, you know, I think there's something glorious. I think there's a gift in that, in it, when we have a yeah. little something to endure. Contemplation is a divine union where the Lord delights in the soul and the soul delights in the Lord. That, Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that intimate sharing among friends. And you think and sometimes maybe we have trouble believing that, right? That God would delight in me. And, yes, yeah. yes. Yes, exactly. Just that mutual indwelling. That's really the bliss that we have here. That's, you know, some of the saints write about 
all the way to heaven is heaven. That's a quote. It's either Catherine of Siena or I think it is Catherine of Siena or somebody. But other saints talk about that heaven starts now. Mm. But that, that quote, I think, really exemplifies that. Yeah. That we're in him and he's in us and yeah. delighting in one another. Yeah. If that's going on here on earth. Yeah, it seems like it makes prayer a lot more simpler, doesn't it? <laughs> mm. All our troubles come to us because we do not have our eyes fixed on the Lord. Mm. I remember one of the sisters told me that one time about just, you know, we keep our eyes on Jesus, you know, keep walking forward. And uh, mm. I found myself telling others that too, you know, we get tangled up with other things and are worried about outcomes and things, and our job is just to keep rise on Yeah, yeah, so simple. Yeah. So simple, yes, not easy. What does it matter as long as you are in God's arms? He is powerful enough to free you from everything. Only once did he command the world to be made, and it was done. We're always in his arms, right? Yeah, <laughs> I love that one. I, I wrote the first part of that on the front of my notebook that had all my Trees of Avalon notes in it. Like, what does it matter if you're in his arms? Like, what a great thing to remember. Yeah. You know, whatever the trial or the mm -hmm. tribulation to just, to, again, to use the imagination, like you're resting in the arms of God. <laughs> so what? <laughs> Let it crumble. <laughs> Let it crumble. <laughs> yeah. Well, these are all great. I, I look forward to reading more of them see what you highlighted but thank you so much for talking uh, oh you're welcome father it's yeah. a joy